Here we go. Season 7. If you missed it, here's what we believe. 66 book canon. We believe in a 66 book canon. There is no more. There is no less. It's 66 books. That Yeshua, who is preached by the apostles in the Gospels and in the epistles, is the only means of salvation, as we're calling Yeshua, means. In other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, doctor, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic. The, the New Covenant is not time-bound. That is to say that the, the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different. Right. No, no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith. In other words, the, that salvation was salvation was the same for Abraham as it is for us. Right. It is Wednesday, June 10th. This is Messiah Matters number three. Oh, it's 2020, by the way. Thinking it's about time for the Hoff to go off. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that whenever it is revealed, or he could be, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope focused on him purifies himself, even as he is pure, meaning Yeshua. I just love that. That's the first couple of verses of John, of 1 John, so epistle of 1 John, um, chapter 3. Because it's, you know, I've been struggling. Maybe, it, like, there's this effort to look at where we are now in terms of Bible prophecy. And when you start doing that, I mean, you go back in history, you know, they were doing that a thousand years ago. They were doing that 500 years ago. They were doing it 50 years ago and they've always been wrong. Right. And, but now, because it just seems like it's a little more intense, somehow we need to see where we are on God's prophetic timeline and that people sell a lot of books this way. Right. They fill a lot of uh, auditoriums and speaking tours and things like this, exciting people up. And to me, I don't, and call me, call me a, I don't know. I don't think my heart is hardened. I'm just like, look, this, I've been on this roller coaster before. I have, I had the t-shirt. I've already gave the t-shirt away. <laughs> to goodwill, you know, I mean, it's like, uh, and, but the thing is, if you do that, if you think that then that is going to help you know your identity, you're, I think you're missing out on where God has put you right now with your family, your friends, your local community, serving him and just saying, you know what? I don't know if we're in the end times or not. Maybe we are, maybe we're not. We'll all find out together. 
you know? And Yeshua says, it's like, like lightning goes from one end of heaven to the other. So will the coming of the son of man be. It's not like, you know, and he says, when they say, oh, he's over here. Oh, it's over here. He says, don't, don't follow him. You know, we'll all know. And so anyway, I've been, been thinking about that. And so it's scriptures like this, first John three, that just, I feel help ground me, you know, back to the reality of there's way there's, a, there's so much stuff I don't know about the Bible and I have to, and I'm okay not knowing, you know, and I think what God has revealed though, is my responsibility to understand it, to own it. And it, it's, it's going to have boots on the ground for where I live. Uh, I can't solve, I can't tell you Israel is in, in Bible prophecy, like the way things are happening in Israel today. I mean, I know it gets spun that way. You know, every I don't know. Yeah, every generation thinks that we're in the end times and that uh, the Antichrist is here. Oh, good thoughts. Um, yeah. Uh, very good thoughts. Okay. For those who said that they didn't have sound, I fixed that. We've had some technical difficulties last week and this week. What I tried to do today was uh, broadcast to Facebook and to YouTube. And that obviously didn't work. Um, so I quit streaming to Facebook, and now we're just streaming to YouTube. And I think that all of our um, sound issues and everything have been worked out because I made that change. All right, well, we're going to have an interesting day today. There's a lot of, uh, well, there might be some anxiety about what we're going to talk about simply because it's such a charged, I mean, it is, it is a charged subject, isn't it? Let's jump in. Actually, before we do that, let's have some lighter notes before we jump in. We'll start with two minor conversations and we'll jump into some bigger ones. First of all, before we get started, uh, don't forget to uh, be a part of the conversation. 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. And you can send us an email, chagatorresource.com, chagatorresource.com. Also, this show is brought to you by Torah Resource. Go to Torah Resource for all sorts of free stuff, as well as uh, you can purchase stuff there as well. And I rarely say this on our on our shows, but uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, like this video, turn on notifications so you never miss one of our videos. Smash that subscribe button, as all the kids say these days. Okay, let's do it. Um, we got a couple of interesting conversations. Rob has not heard this one. And this is one that has been going on between me and somebody else online. So this person says, uh, like, basically the, the intro to this, and I'm not reading this, this is from my memory. They basically said, I don't understand. Can we all agree that, like, et is a thing within the Bible? And I said, yeah, of course. You know, it's a sign of direct object, among other things. But, uh, and then I tried to describe what the et philosophy or theology is, that um, they take it to mean Alpha and Omega, you know, in Revelation when Yeshua says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, they say, aha, it's Aleph and Tav, and therefore every time you see et, the untranslatable sign of the direct object, it actually should, you should supply um, uh, Yeshua there. And, or, you know, there's a concept of Yeshua there. And I then brought up uh, Genesis 1.1. There's two signs of direct objects within Genesis 1.1. And I uh, showed where they were within, like, the English translation and put in brackets, like, Yeshua, blah, blah, blah. And to just kind of show the mentality of some of the of the people who hold to such uh, theology. Um, this person 
wrote back and said, I believe totally in, at the very uh, least, a significant uh, uh, the significance of its use in Genesis 1-1. How in the world, all capital world, am I supposed to believe that the first and last chapter of all that is God-breathed has a correlation like that by coincidence? Okay, first of all, that's assuming that, uh, that the et is something, that it's not. That's number one. Um, and so I sent to, uh, Rob's two, uh, papers on the et, what et is in Hebrew, um, and, uh, and thought that that would probably end the conversation as I think the articles are well written and I will include those in today's show notes. This was the response. This person writes back and says, I skimmed your articles and I get what you're saying, but where I differ with you is here. It is overwhelmingly, and overwhelmingly is all in caps, evident that the Hebrew language is prophetic in nature. Stop. Okay, let's stop right there. I want to talk about this. There is no evidence whatsoever, nor is there anything that points to the Hebrew language itself being prophetic in nature. That well, is not only that, not only yeah, but but if they would have read it, they would have found that et is found in Moabite, in I think Edomite, in um, Aramaic. We have an Aramaic, Phoenician. Yeah, so it's, it's are, are we going to say those are all? Are we going to say the Moabite stone, for example, by the king of Moab, uh, castigating Israel in right. the name of the Lord that has the et in it? That that's a prophetic text. What about uh, it's, what about the uh, the grocery lists that have been found in in uh, you know biblical Hebrew in the in the garbage dumps of ancient Israel? I mean, they have ets in them. Are you telling me that the that the they uh, have whether right? They have probably ets. They probably have all sorts of biblical vocab vocabulary that you find in the Bible. Right, and so you're trying to tell me that basically that the, these people who were writing down their grocery lists or whatever it may be this is pointing to Yeshua as well, or is it just the Bible? Here's the thing that I think people don't realize. And, you know, we hear things like even, you know, within, within modern Judaism, we hear the holy language. Um, and I understand that from, from, from like non-believing Jews because they don't believe in, uh, they believe that the Torah and the Tanakh were given in Hebrew alone. And there's no idea of, you know, apostolic scriptures being written in Greek or anything like this. For us believers... Right. We need to, I, I think that believers should realize God wanted to convey his, his word in common language. It's not prophetic. It's not special. It's not a cut about above the rest. It's not holy. It's not angelic. It's right. not, none of that. It is a common language. It was the lingua franca of the region at the time. And the way that this is proven is that the apostolic scriptures were written in Greek. And Greek was the lingua franca of the time when those were written. They wanted the message of the gospel to go to all the nations. So what did they do? They wrote it in the, in the language that everyone, for, that the most people would be able to be benefit from. So the idea that, uh, and the, he says, it is overwhelmingly evident that the Hebrew language is prophetic in nature. No, it's not. It's overwhelmingly evident that it is not. It's overwhelmingly evident that it is a common language. That's it. He goes on. That doesn't mean that everything written in the Hebrew is prophetic. Okay. But should we then suppose that the et is in maybe the, the laundry lists of whatever? Okay. 
He goes on. However, does it mean that there, uh, the Hebrew language is used in the writings of the Torah in a prophetic way? I do not believe that Yeshua said, I am the Alpha and Omega, because I don't believe his disciples spoke Greek as a first language. Well, he doesn't say it to his uh, disciples. It's quoted by him in Revelation. John quotes it in Revelation. He doesn't say it to his disciples. So that's number one. Number two, uh, no. Much evidence points to the idea that Yeshua spoke Greek, and probably a lot. Right? He speaks it with Nicodemus. This has been proven by my colleague. Why why can't Yeshua say, I am... Uh, Alpha and Omega. Why can't Yeshua say that? Because people think that Hebrew is a uh, is a holy language, and that Yeshua would have, would have only uh, spoke Hebrew. What if he says it to to deliberately to get his, uh, Jews who think that their twenty two letters are somehow sacred? He's actually saying the Greek alphabet, which has the same based off the same letters, but it has more letters. It's even I'm beyond you're, I'm beyond your understanding. I mean, ultimately, this is not this, just for Jew. It's not just for Israel. This comes down to bad hermeneutics, ultimately. But OK, anyway, he goes on. He says, I do believe that Yeshua said I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I don't believe uh, this, uh, his disciples spoke Greek. We know that his disciples spoke Greek as a first language, maybe not as a first language, but I think most of them actually did. Uh, that could be debated. That's, I mean, certainly that's debatable. I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, try to, you know, override so that So is this one. guy saying that the original, uh, it's like Hebrew lost original Hebrew or something? Well, that kind he of- says, I believe he spoke to John in Hebrew. I am the Aleph and the Tav. We, wow. What evidence do yeah, you have? Yeah. No- okay. That's so, so what, what do you gain from that belief? I, I, I don't know. I mean, this. It, Anyway, okay. He asks, He asks. where is another witness of this in Scripture? Well, you could read our article, uh, Rob's article on uh, Yeshua conversing with Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel. Clearly, it's in Greek. It's not in, in uh, Hebrew. When Yeshua says, you are Peter upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia. Clearly, he is, I mean, I don't... I think that some scholars might debate this, but the overwhelming majority of Greek scholars believe that he was speaking Greek at this point because of the wordplay that he uses in the Greek. Right, right. So, I mean, the idea that Yeshua is always speaking Hebrew or Aramaic is ridiculous. Um, he, he goes on, according to Torah, it is the mouths of two or three witnesses that a matter is established. It seems to me, uh, and I'm not familiar with who this is, but it seems to me that whoever this is has not done any studies in language. But beyond that, even if they have, they have not looked into the matter of the Greek versus the Hebrew uh, primacy within the within the New Testament. Because it doesn't seem that they, they have understood the arguments that have been made by Greek and Hebrew scholars. That's probably sounds right. Um, but, you know, the... Uh, I, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. However, the point is, is that, you know, this comes back to, and this was left on a, 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 a video clip from our Hebrew Roots, uh, t- uh, Teachers of the Hebrew Roots movement, and what's wrong with the Hebrew Roots movement. And this is it. This has proven my point. Is that what teachers in the Hebrew Roots movement so often do, and I'm not going to say every teacher, I'm sure there are exceptions, but the overwhelming majority of Hebrew Roots teachers take these fantastic claims, 
teach them to the people who have willing ears and who are just waiting to have their ears tickled by the by such nonsense they take it and they run with it. and then instead of actually trying to to uh, use proper biblical hermeneutics to see what the Lord has given to us in his word instead of that what they're doing is they're chasing after these fantastic claims that are honestly not found within the scriptures the Bible doesn't need anything extra. You don't need to spruce it up. You don't have to put, you know, Christmas lights on your Bible to make it look good. <laughs> the Bible is amazing. It is the greatest story ever told. It is the word of God. You don't need extra. So the idea that, oh, we need to find the secret hidden meaning. Deuteronomy speaks against this. It's not in the heavens that you need to go up and find it or down in the sea beneath that you need to go get it. Rather, it is in your mouth and in your heart. It's not hidden. It's not secret. It's right there. Okay. You want to say anything else? You're the et guy. No, I'm well, it's, I mean, I think you did a good job. The et, if is, here's, here's the problem with, with this is if we're going to call Hebrew a holy language, and then we're going to take words like shalom or the et or ben, this word for son, and we're going to attribute all sorts of meaning to them. What happens when we find the same exact words in non-Israelite inscript, ancient inscriptions using the same exact alphabet? Are we saying, oh, this is no longer um, the et in this Moabite stone, for example, in the Mo ancient Moabite inscriptions? It doesn't point to Yeshua. You know what I'm because you know, culturally, the, the argument here from these people, I can almost guarantee, is going to be, well, this book is God breathed, so there's secret, the the secrets of of the true, uh, you know, all these secrets are God ordained and woven together by God, where they're not in the other inscriptions. Well, this was the big a big uh, debate in the early rabbinic era. The two two uh, second century rabbis, Rabbi Ishmael and Rabbi Akiva, they they separated akiva says no the torah was it says the torah speaks in the language of man but akiva said no you know every every uh letter has all sorts of halakha that can be developed you know whether by the spelling of a word or by a lacking letter or all these kind of things have cosmological you know implications and it's akiva's uh, view that kind of won out, you know, Ishmael, Rabbi Ishmael's view kind of just uh, went to the wayside because people didn't want to just read it in plain language. They wanted to, you know, come up with all sorts of meanings. And so the question is, how does this, how does this affect the history of the interpretation of the Bible? That's not, you know, Yeshua, when Yeshua quotes the scriptures, they quote it as, as units of sentences, you know, phrases and sentences and pass it larger passages of sentences that have meaning only as sentences and passages not as an individual letter the individual letter is is not the issue you know nowhere does yeshua say he quotes a scripture and says and this word is spelled with a yod rather than a vav or something like that right therefore 10 verses 6 you know no, that's later Rabbi Akiva and then later into the Jewish uh, Kabbalistic tradition, you know, where you have gematria and things like that gaining a lot of significance. I mean, they taught the basic plain meaning 
of Scripture with a with an emphasis on the prophetic uh, covenantal um, yes. uh, orientation that God's doing something in history that there's a that God is true. Every man is a liar. Call to repentance. Um, return to the faith of Abraham, or otherwise you're going to be lopped off and thrown into the fire. I mean, it's uh, very much in that line. Well, I mean, and we have to, coming back to just original language, why did God choose Abraham? Why did he choose shepherds? He could have chosen. Yeah, yeah. And back to, I think, 1 Corinthians, we might get into 1 Corinthians 1. He says, I chose the foolish things of the world. Yeah, he could. He could. I, I chose the, the simple things, right? It, he's... He could have chosen Egypt, which was the major powerhouse empire. Or Assyria, yeah. Or Assyria. Well, he did use them at different times. He used but... them, but he didn't choose them. Instead, he 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 pulls up the a shepherd nomadic clan to carry the, the covenants of God. Why? Because God can. And he didn't use some gloriously angelic language. No. He used the common language that the shepherds spoke. Yeah. It's not this. It, it's the language of Canaan. Right. Right. I mean. Um, anyway, I, I mean, and, you know, this person keep the person kept saying things like, well, I, I want you to keep an open mind about the Aleph Tav and, you know, please go into it with an open mind. And it's reminded me so much. And I know it's different, but it reminded me so much of of Mormonism. Now, have you prayed and asked God if the Book of Mormon is true? No, I haven't, and I'm not going to. I mean, these things are all we have to do is look at the evidence. That's it. You know, do you think that the tribes that the gospels for, that the gospel first went to, the indigenous tribes of wherever? Do you think that those people said, oh, now we got this book. Now let's start figuring out all the different codes so that we can know the true meaning. No, of course not. They were given the gospel. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. Um, should we? Let's not go to our main topic yet, because I want to go to this one first. Okay. <clears throat> now, this was left on a video. This is a comment left on a video about um, the gear, which means like sojourner, mm -hmm. versus the pro versus proselyte. So we're talking about gear versus proselyte. Our point is, is that nowhere in the Torah or the Tanakh is there ever a uh, a way to convert. There's no, you know, basically the idea of convert convert and become a Jew is never found within the Bible, and therefore the ger is a, is a category unto itself. That's the point that we're trying to make. And uh, hang on while I kill an ant. They've 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 evolved this year and now they have wings so now they can fly. Ooh, yeah. Anyway, um, and this is what this person leaves on this video. They say, "What about the Book of Esther eight seventeen in the Septuagint?" says that the Gentiles become Jews by conversion via circumcision. The mixed multitude from Egypt consisted of many Gentiles that became Jews. No, they didn't. They never became Jews. It, I don't think it ever says anywhere, even in the Septuagint, that they became Jews. The question is this, are they are they reading an English translation of the Septuagint? I don't know, but uh, he, uh, let's mm. read the whole comment, then I'm going to let you just blast okay. this one out of the park. He goes on, for example, Caleb, Moses, uh, uh, Moses' wife, etc., they were called strangers in the New, 
But when you read the Septuagint, they translate it to proselyte in some cases, for example, Exodus 12, 48 through 49. Gentile, Jews, or proselytes is in Exodus. Go for it. Yeah, well, I'd like to address that Esther passage. So the Esther passage is towards the end of the book because mm-hmm. it's first, right, it's written in Hebrew, translated into Greek. Right. And what's happening? It's that there had been a decree going forth when Haman was still had power to that it was okay to kill the Jews, right? And then Esther intercedes, people know the story, and the king says that Jews can now defend themselves. Right. And so they send this proclamation throughout the land. And so the Jews are celebrating because they're, you know, defending themselves. And um, it says uh, in the, 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 I'll read the ESV first. So this is from the Hebrew uh, 817 in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. Many, from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. And, and that's a fair translation. Uh, many from the people uh, uh, of the, it says Amehaaretz from the Amharaaretz from the people of the land. Uh, and then it uses a, a hit payal participle, which mit uh, yahadim, which means they pretended to be Jews or they pretended to um, to be friends of the Jews or something like that. And it says, why? It says, uh, because the fear of the Jews fell upon them. Right. So that's the simple Hebrew, that the nations who are people of the land in these provinces that had recently been uh, getting ready to loot Jews, you know, due to Haman's, uh, influence. Now the Jews are uh, are on the offense. They're pushing back. And yeah, and these people are afraid right. of the Jews. And so they're this strange word, which means, probably means either they're saying, yeah, we're on your side, we're on your side, we're on your side. Okay, that's the simple meaning. Now, the way that was translated into Greek, the Greek Esther, which was sometime in the Second Temple period, probably under the Maccabean era, that was interpreted. It says many of um, many of uh, the nations, and then it says uh, were circumcised, or it could mean that they circumcised themselves, and Judaized. You died zone. They circumcised and Judaized, because it's that's the word you died zone, uh, out of fear of the Jews. So in both cases, the Hebrew and the Greek translation, it's Gentiles changing their behavior out of fear. Yeah, so they don't get out of fear of the Jews. That what the the difficulty of the Hebrew, Mityahadim, is taken and expanded, which sometimes happens in ancient Targum, to try to that's how the author understands it into two different words. That means they circumcised and and acted like Jews out of fear of the Jews. So it, even if we take, the, and I think the Septuagint is a bad translation. I think Paul would have totally disagreed with this translation. But aside from that, let's just say 
for the sake of discussion, that the Septuagint has an accurate, let's just say it's accurate. Let's say this is what the Hebrew means. They, they circumcised themselves and they Judaized out of fear of the Jews. Okay, if we take that to be true, what does the God of all creation think of this behavior? If that is true behavior, is that like, oh, they're part of my people now? Right. Is that what God would say? No. God would say, you You just adopted, you just, out of fear of man, you just changed a bunch of external behavior. Well, he said, he talks about this to the to Israel itself. Stop bringing right, your, stinking, exactly. your stinking sacrifices. They're stenched in my, in my nostrils. Yeah, yeah. So there's no... There's no way to read the Greek mistranslation, even if you want to accept it as a translation. The Greek mistranslation of of Esther eight as some sort of evidence for a Gentile who comes to Israel and says, "I want to become part of Israel because I love the God of Israel and I've forsaken all." Uh, the idols of my ancestors or whatever the line might be. And that there's some sort of procedure now that they go through and they go, okay, you are now one of us. This is not evidence for this. All this, all Esther eight is, is evidence for non-Jews out of fear because they, they don't want to get killed. Right. Changing their external behavior to try to avoid getting killed. That's all that's happening. Do you see it any different than that? I do not see it any different. I think you knocked it out of the park. Discussion closed. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. Absolutely. Um, let's move on to where angels fear to tread. You know, and the reason I say that is not because I'm afraid of talking about these issues. Um, I, I, it's because everyone is so raw right now about any racial issues, any any kind of, you know, you're not allowed to say that because yada, yada. Um, if you're listening to this show at a much later date, uh, we are pretty much at the tail end, if not, I would say coming to an end of the uh, George Floyd uh, riots, not only in Washington State where Rob and I live. Uh, Seattle is still, I think they, they took over the mayor's office last night. Um, oh, and like, and uh, Capitol Hill, they've declared it as a, a free Capitol Hill. Right. And they're they, demanding. Yeah, yeah it's. They, they want, they want uh, to defund the, the police. Uh, Minneapolis is defunding the police. There's other states that I, I think San Francisco is not that the cops in San Francisco really, I mean, anyway, um, San Francisco, Portland, other uh, state uh, cities are, are trying to defund the, the police and, um, and which, okay, I, I don't want to get into the politics of all these things. Anyway, the, the point uh, of all of this is, is that uh, Black Lives Matter is super up front right now. And, um, you know, there's a lot of raw feelings of, of these kind of things. Hang on just a second. Why am I not, why am I having issues with this? Um, and so with all of that said... Um, we come to a little bit of a different spin on all this and don't get, don't worry for all in the chat room right now. We're not going to all of a sudden become a political show. However, um, and the article that I'm going to reference will be in your show notes. This is an article that Rob shared with me about 10 minutes before we came online. It was, uh, it was written, uh, on, uh, May 10th, 2020. 
Now, I don't know so, how I don't yeah, know about one month ago because today's June 10th. I don't know how many people know um, know this or not, but breaking Israel news is like the National Enquirer. It's most of it is not real news in any way. I take it as it's propaganda. Propaganda, exactly. And and I'll tell you what the what the propaganda is. I'll tell you what the propaganda is. Breaking Israel news is uh, a group of observant, self-proclaimed Orthodox Jews in Israel who want to define who Christians are for Christians. Right. And they want to keep Christians in that box. And at the same time, they want Christians to affirm that Orthodox Jews have their own box and that they are not to mix. They can, they can be friends. Christians can come alongside these Orthodox Jews and give them money and help them. And they can accomplish things together by, by helping Christians uh, fund the, quote, proper uh, institutions in Israel and thus join, be partners, but there is no transmission of the gospel. Okay, but hang on, just, hang on, just a second. Hang on, just a sec. Let's get back to. Let's go back real quick to breaking Israel news. What I, I mean, I wish I had the sound clip of this. And maybe I'll get the well, sound. I'm saying, that's what they do. That's their. That's their agenda. That's right. What they uh, right. So I mean, it is propaganda. Did, did you ever see Soy Married an Axe Murder? This is off topic. Oh my! Thirty years ago, or whatever. <laughs> Mom, I find it interesting that you uh, that you refer to the World Weekly News as the paper. The paper usually contains facts. Pregnant man gives birth. That's a fact. <laughs> I mean, that's how I think of breaking Israel news. Is just anyway. Um, okay, so within this art, the title of this article, which by the way is going to be in your show notes once again, is called "Christian Jewish Leaders Respond to God's to God TV's Attempted Proselytization in Israel." Now we've talked about this for the past two shows, and this idea that God TV is going to put this uh, this uh, television show on Israel TV in in the Hebrew language, which is going to give the gospel, and there are sorts of people that are just up in arms about this. Rivka Lambert Alder is the uh, is the uh, writer of this article. And basically what she's done is she's gotten some heavy hitters within the Hebrew Roots movement um, to speak up uh, Hebrew Roots slash what has been self-pro- self-proclaimed Christian Zionists um, to talk about how... And, and at the end, it's Jewish. So it flips the last is Jewish leaders at the bottom of the page. So it has both. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then Jewish leaders at the bottom. Okay. So, uh, you know, so for instance, the first person quoted, Mark Biltz. Mark Biltz says, should we read some of this? Sure. Okay. He says, I'm a firm believer in the Bible and in God, in the God of Israel. As revealed in the scriptures, it was the Jewish people that Hashem gave all the covenants. Okay. We're on solid ground here. Christianity is full of replacement theology, replacing the biblical feasts, so on and so forth. Okay. I can see how strong Jews who are strongly Zionist as well would be very upset by a TV station supported by Christian Zionists in order to proselytize the Jewish people who are less knowledgeable or less religious and how they would feel betrayed. In every alliance, there are always boundaries or uh, red lines that have to be drawn, and the depth of the relationship is based on the value placed on not crossing those boundaries. For Christianity to build a bridge requires great humility and a deep spirit of repentance and acknowledgement of the harm done. 
So, okay, I want to I want to focus on this for a second. For Christianity, let's read this again so everybody can get it in their minds. For Christianity to build a bridge requires great humility and a deep spirit of repentance and acknowledgement of the harm done. Does Mr. Biltz, is he suggesting that we need to, I mean, certainly I think every believer should be able to say the atrocities done not only to the Jews but to others in the name of Christ throughout the Crusades, even the Holocaust, right? I mean, the, the Germans felt like they were doing God's work. Uh, but it's, it's not just Christianity. Religion in general has massacred people. I mean, even the Maccabees do forced circumcisions, right? So, it, I mean, Judaism has has uh, is is not clean, you know, doesn't have clean hands on this either. So, we can all agree that the atrocities done to Jews and to other civilizations, at the, because of you know pagans as well, because of uh, Christianity, is horrible. But the question that I have is, am I responsible for that? I think the message of the gospel has, I mean, should we acknowledge that the Jews have been, have been uh, marginalized and put down and, uh, and all sorts of things throughout history? Of course they have. Now, am I responsible for the Crusades, though? Am I responsible for the, for the Holocaust? No, Christ, Christianity is not responsible for the Holocaust, and Christianity is not responsible for the Crusades. I mean, or the or the the Inquisition, you know. I mean, one of these one of these guys here. It's it's on the Jewish side towards the bottom. Rabbi Ari Abramowitz. He says, um, countless Jews have been burned at the stake rather than accept missionizing for generations. And okay, countless Jews have been burned at the stake rather than accept missionizing for generations. Tell that to my father. I think what we need, we need a footnote here. I mean, this is a, do you realize, do you realize what accusation this is before the Holy God, right? This is saying countless Jews, first of all, beyond number, we can't even count them all, burned at the stake. And, 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 and so, okay, how do we know this is even true? I mean, can they, they don't even cite one example rather than accept missionizing. And then not only that, it's happened for generations. So, you know, call me totally ignorant. Sylvia, I want to answer but, your question in just a second. But when, when was a, when, who are these countless Jews for generations being burned at the stake because they're not accepting, uh, they won't accept missionizing? I, I, I don't know what that is. I mean, you could say, I mean, I know for sure there were reformers that were burned at the stake um, by the Inquisition and, you know, that were killed because they, because they rejected, they said that the Catholic church is not the true church. Oh, oh, so listen, listen to the, listen to this last statement by Biltz though. Listen to what he says. Because it's on the exact same wavelength as what you're talking about. He says Christianity, Christianity historically has blown up every bridge built over the last 2,000 years. And I hope that any bridge that is built between Christians and Jews will be built on baseless love. I don't know what that means. 
but his last statement. But the fact is, is no, I'm sorry. That is not true. It is not true that Christians have, have blown up every bridge. And the way that we know this is that many Jews have come, even Paul talks about a remnant. Many Jews have come to Christ through the efforts of, of those who evangelize. Well, let, let's yeah, get... and, and, many, and many Christians gave their lives or risked everything to save Jews in different historical situations. The fact that you have a movement called Messianic Judaism proves that these statements are wrong. Sylvia in the chat room says, who is responsible? Well, okay, that, that that's the question right there. That's who a great question. Re- in the Torah, who, yeah. well, whose judgment matters? What is the Torah? Does the Torah judge a person by the color of their skin, by their gender identification, by their nationality or ethnicity, or or by their ancestors who did something maybe two hundred to eight hundred to fifteen hundred years ago? No. The answer is no to all those. If the Torah judges that way, then that's the way we should we should uh, think theologically and bring that uh, framework to what we're talking about. Look, but I, also, what does the Torah say about baseless accusations or spreading uh, tales among people? You know, how much damage, this is what happens with the claim of like this, this uh, breaking Israel news point of view is very much encapsulated by the lady Sondra Baras. She's the founder and director of Christian Friends of Israeli Communities. And this is what she says. One of the things we've been doing is trying to get Christians to understand how offensive evangelizing is to us, because many of them have been taught since childhood that Jews have just been waiting to be saved. They have no idea that we are very comfortable with who we are. Unfortunately, there are still some people who don't understand this or don't want to understand this. I will have nothing to do with people or organizations who insist on evangelizing Jews. That is our red line. But hang on just a sec. What you have from from these Christians and these Messianics uh, is them saying, and this oh, is a Jewish lady. Oh, yeah, I know. But but what what Christians and Messianic, these like Bilts and other people in this article and other organizations are doing is they're looking at comments like that and saying, oh, oh, you don't want to be evangelized. Okay, then we, hey, everybody, stop trying to give the gospel to these people. It's offensive to them, so we're not going to. What does Paul say about that? You're burning bridges. You're burning bridges. What does Paul say? He says in 1 Corinthians 22 through 23, For indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. Paul doesn't say, hey, hey, stop. They, they, they're offended by the gospel, so they think it's foolishness, so stop giving it to them. Don't do that. Let's all, let's all just be quiet and get along. No, Paul is, is, I mean, he is relentless. He gets stoned in one city. He gets up, he goes back into the same city to do what? To give him the gospel. So who is responsible? The, the, this comes down to, yeah, who did the action? Who is a part of, you know, within the, within the, uh, the trials of the, of, of the Nazis? This, you know, the question was asked at one point, is the secretary who was taking down the names of all the people that were coming off the trains, 
Are they responsible for, for pulling the switch or not? They never actually killed any Jews. The answer they gave to them was, yeah, they were a part of the larger machine. They actually worked to help that machine run. But you know what? The great, great grandson of the of the Nazi exterminator who, you know, the Nazi who actually pulled the switch is the great, great grandson who thinks that racism is horrible and can't believe what his great grandfather did. Is he responsible for pulling the switch? Of course not. He's not held responsible. He doesn't need to get on his knees and, and beg forgiveness for something that he didn't do. Especially if he's upholding, and you know, if he's upholding the Jews and and trying to uh, trying to bring the truth to the Jews and or loving the Jews as best he can, he's not responsible for pulling the switch at, at Nuremberg. And this is exactly, I mean, we see this not only in these kind of statements in an article like this. But we see this also, I mean, honestly, this bleeds over into our political situation. The idea that, uh, you know, that uh, all white people are are responsible for uh, slave the slavery of the African-Americans in America is simply, I, I, I'm sorry, it's just not true. Listen to this. This is what Tommy Waller says from Hayovel in the same article. He says this. He says, honestly, I believe there should be a cable Christian channel in Israel with 24-7 programming where one Christian after another repents for all that has been done to the Jews over the last 2,000 years at the hands of the Christians. What? Yeah, that's just, I, I, it sounds to me like he's, he's drunk the Kool-Aid. He's drunk the Kool-Aid of these rabbis here. You know, the, the, the rabbis that are part of Breaking Israel News. You know, I mean, that's that's the only way I could can understand this. Sylvia says the great grandson of the Nazi is proud of his family. No, that's not what I said. I saw a documentary of someone who who uh, was what literally the great grandson or the grandson of someone who, who of a Nazi in Germany. He went with uh, the survivors' grandchildren back to the the place where the atrocities happened, he was mortified. He couldn't believe that he came from uh, someone who, who would do such things. The idea that a child is automatically going to, oh yeah, I'm proud of my family for the, for the atrocities done. No, that's hatred. That's hatred that, that has to be taught and, and nurtured and cultivated and, repeated yeah exactly so i mean the the idea that all of a sudden the torah speaks about this a child well, let, let me let me ask this then what let's just take that last one you quoted it's tw the a radio station 24 7 one christian after another saying they're sorry TV, for stuff yeah. they didn't do personally yeah. yeah when does it where does that end does that just go on forever who comes in that view do we are we waiting for the these Orthodox rabbis, part of Breaking Israel News, to get together and say, okay, you are absolved. No. It, to me, they've, they've created a new lit liturgy. They've created a new type of Yom Kippur liturgy where, where what, uh, the Christians are reminded of all these sins and, and the, the Christians have to repent 
And the Jews that are reminding them of the sins are in the place of the priests who are in the position to forgive. But because they never, there's no actual forgiveness ever given, what they're just told is more and more of you need to repent. And year by year, every Holocaust Memorial Day, you have Christians wailing and repenting, and, and you have no Jew there to forgive them, you know, officially. And so the next year, guess what's going to happen? Same thing over and over and over again for sins that they didn't even commit. So it's not, it's not, it's a new liturgy. It's a, it's a liturgy that, that reinforces a theological idol. It's an idol. It's meaning it's a false God. Uh, that's my, that's my opinion on that is that, it, that to, to try to take some atrocity in world history and pin it on one person today is anti-Torah. Yeah, Mike. And to tell to, to take one portion, you you have to you have to confess these sins. That you're you're like, what are you even talking about? Is that what God wants from me? Does God is that what repentance that the gospel is is about me repenting for sins I don't even know what they are? Is yeah. that is if if that's the religion, that is such idolatry. Well, Mike uh, Mike puts it perfectly. He just quotes Deuteronomy 24:16. Fathers shall not be put to death for the for their sons, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. Sylvia writes Bingo. and she says uh, about the about the um about the idea of a, a grandson of a Nazi. She says perhaps he is going to feel like changing his name. You know what? No. And and here's why. I live in a in the same city that uh, Ted Bundy grew up in and lived in. And if you don't know, Ted Bundy is one of the most well-known serial killers. His family still lives here in this area. I got to be careful about what I say because I have I don't want to I don't want to upset my friends. One of his relatives after Ted Bundy was caught and was tried, he changed his name because he wanted nothing to do. With his brother. With what his brother did, yeah. And at the same time, he changed it back later. And the reason why was because he wanted to show that he was against this. And it's the same with like Ted Kaczynski. Ted Kaczynski's brother didn't change his name from, you know, Kaczynski because he's the brother of the Unabomber. No. What did he do? He became very good friends with some of the victims of the Unabomber and has tried to work through this horrible thing that happened, not only for himself, but also for the victims to show that he's not in support of this. Sometimes it's greater to say what my family member did here or what my people group did here. I stand against it. This is my name. And I want to let you know that this is not how this is. No, we're against this. That's more powerful to me. We don't run and hide. We stand for truth. We stand up and we say, this is wrong. And what this person did, even though, I mean, you don't see David changing his name because Absalom is, you know, trying to kill him. Right. Um, I, I think that this goes back to the idea of bloodline superiority. What benefit then is it to be a Jew? Much in every way. Why? He doesn't say because the Jews are better. 
because the Jews have better blood than you do. Because they're better, because you're a Gentile and you're worthless compared to them. No, he didn't say any of that. What does he say? Because they hold the promises and the covenants of God. In other words, they were given the, the promises and the covenants. And this is how you, they have been given a task to do. The idea of bloodline superiority is these people are better. And, and you're not as good as them. And you need to get down on your knees and you need to apologize for everything that these people 200 years ago did to them or these people 100 years ago did to them, even though you had nothing to do with it. I mean, this... here's the other aspect to this, too, is let's say I come to you, Caleb. Let's say I'm, I'm Jewish and you're a Christian and I come to you with the line of this Rabbi Ari Abramowitz and I tell you, Caleb, countless Jews have been burned at the stake rather than accept missionizing for generations. And then you're like, oh, like, if this is a, le is this a legal claim? Is this a legal um, uh, uh, accusation? Like, we got to know, like, who did it? Like, or is it just some vague crime that just seems horrific? To me, it is a mechanism to try to, to stop the gospel. In other words, look at look at this horrific thing that has happened. That means that you shouldn't do the right thing. <laughs> I, I have to read something. Go for it. This is from, and maybe we'll include in the notes, I did a review of this book, uh, Tent of David by Boaz Michael, which was, what, 2011 or 2010? I don't remember. It's about 10, maybe 10 years. Yeah. Anyway, um, real frustrating read. But <laughs> he even, he even anchored, as I write this, the day after Yom HaShoah, that is the Holocaust Remembrance Day in Israel, Jewish bloggers are lamenting the loss of millions of American Jews over the past few decades, not through death, but through assimilation. This assimilation, the quote, American Holocaust, is facilitated by a society that sees Jewishness as irrelevant a society built on Christian values that were propagated by a church that also saw Jewishness as irrelevant. That's why we have in Arlington, you have crosses and you have stars of David, by the way. Uh, the burden for this tragedy, for the secular anti-Semitism, which led to the Holocaust, and for a large portion of Jewish animosity towards Christianity, via the Crusades, the Inquisition, other atrocities, is properly laid at the feet of the church. Properly laid. The burden for this tragedy is properly laid at the feet of the church. He's saying mean, the church though? is guilty. But then he then he goes on. Wait, what does that mean? Wait, hang, on just, hang on just a sec. Wait, wait, wait. Real quick. What does that mean, though? Does that mean that the church today is responsible? Or does it, it, means it mean that the church needs to stop telling Jews they need Jesus? It means Christianity needs to stop telling Judaism. Because he says in this book, he says, I am a, I've converted. I was a Gentile. I converted to Judaism like Timothy, which is such a wrong understanding of scripture, but doesn't even matter. He says, and I practice Judaism, right? So he makes it clear. I'm on the Judaism side. You Christianity is on the other side. And I'm the judge here. And this is what he says. Christianity is good. This is all on page 180, 181. Christianity is good, but it could be great. It could fulfill its prophetic role by, be, by coming alongside Israel 
and supporting the Jewish people in their mission to reflect God to the world. To me, Gen- I- then he said, he finishes that paragraph Messianic Gentiles are waking up to this reality all over the globe. To me, okay. To, to so me. this is an organization that I think is mostly Gentile. I think they've con- maybe a couple of them converted. I don't, I really don't know. But the idea is the presumption to speak for Judaism, like, and to actually then do the same thing that this Rabbi Ari is, basically, and this Sandra Barris, there are all these atrocities that Christianity has done against Judaism. They just need to shut up. They need to repent and stop telling us. And they should, they need to know that we have God's word and that we are going to interpret God's word for ourselves. And they need to shut up and listen because they don't even read their scriptures in the original languages. And see all these things, you the, the, the Christian who just loves God and is like wanting to, to learn about Israel and the Bible, they just they just get put to their knees with these kind of attacks. I said it last week and I'll say it again. It is anti-Semitic to think that we need to stop giving the gospel to Jews. What it says is that the Jews don't need salvation. We yeah, what would Paul have said to that? What would Paul have said to that claim? The Bible says that, that people without Christ... Are, are going to be judged. But I love these people so much that I'm not going to tell them that they're going to be judged, that they're, that they're leading, they're going somewhere that is not, I mean, and, and this is assuming that all Jews are religious. The majority of Jews in Israel are not religious. Right. So are you telling me that I have to not give the, the uh, does that only apply to the religious Jews? Does, does not giving the gospel to the Jews only apply to the religious Jews? Or does it apply to the, uh, the, the, the homosexual uh, Jew in, in Tel Aviv that is marching exactly. in, in the pride parade? Exactly. Well put. And on that note, I started thinking, well, you know, looking at, at different kinds of revenue that comes into the state of Israel. Well, from the United the United States government is in a 10-year plan. Maybe some of you probably know more about this than I do. Um, I believe it's $38 billion. The U.S. is going to give committed to Israel over 10 years. And then Trump actually, I think, wanted to add more to that. So $38 billion over 10 years, roughly, if we round up to $40 billion, that's $4 billion a year. If you look at tourism to Israel, Christians are over, I think it's 54%, like over half, more than one out of every two tourists that come to Israel are Christian. Are They're not Israeli, meaning they don't live, they're coming. And out of the 4 billion a year, and this was older numbers like 10 years ago, from tourism, so over half of that's Christian money. So about $2 billion a year comes into the state of Israel from Christian tourists. So if you take that amount, you've got 40 billion, which is with that 4 billion a year plus another 2 billion. There's a roughly 6 billion a year coming into Israel. This isn't even Christian churches donating money yet. Right. This is just people coming and spending money as tourists and taxpayer money going to support the state of Israel. So, and we know that Israel 
is greatly dependent on money, on having the United States as an ally and having Christian friends who are coming and spending money in Israel because that helps Israel defend itself as a nation against those other nations. So do you think that – so, so – so, so my point is this, is who's the, – the, the state of Israel is not telling the U.S. that the U.S. owes Israel anything. The state of Israel isn't saying, oh, you American – Americans are all Christians who owe us. You owe us for the Crusades. Yeah, there, there's not even a whiff of that. Right. But yet you have these tiny little, tiny rabbis in Israel that are trying to sell this poison. Why? Because I think it's advertising campaign. What it does, it makes people feel guilty. It makes uh, individual, well-meaning Christians who believe this and, and are naive feel guilty and then they then want to support something like Breaking Israel News, which supports these Orthodox Jews who continue pushing this message that, that Christians are the ones that need to repent, and the Jews have nothing to repent of because they have the Torah, thank you very much, and keep your Jesus to yourself. So then you have Christian Zionists who are supporting anti-Christian, anti-Christ Jews in Israel. It's, it's, I don't even understand it. It's maddening. Yeah. So basically what I hear you saying is that you got, I, I see it as a, as a tactic. In other words, keep coming to Israel, keep, keep supporting us. And maybe a naive tactic. I don't think that, that, that people are over there going, oh, I'll, I'll get their money. But it's this idea of, look, you Christians can come here. You can help, you know, with whatever you want to help with. But don't give us the gospel. In other I words, guarantee, I guarantee that it's not grounded in reality, their claim, because otherwise they're making outlandish claims that for 2,000 years, Christians have been committing atrocities against Jews. Or for 24-7, there needs to be a radio station with one, one Christian after another confessing sin. Well, it, or, it, that, or that Jews have been burned at the stake for generations. Okay, this is, this is out, these are outlandish this back to your point from the get go. This is National Enquirer. Like, woman gives birth to alien baby. You know, it's but people people aren't thinking critically. They're not going. Wait a minute. It's, Can you show me the actual it's, facts? It's certainly one side of the coin because we know we know of Christians risking their lives and their families' lives to hide Jews in the Holocaust. That we're not Jews. Gentile Christians willing right. to willing to put everything on the their, put their children's lives on the line to save Jews. But the, right. but it doesn't seem like that side of the story is being told by any right, of these people. Right, right. There's no it's it's not grounded. It breaking Israel news is an ungrounded, unreliable source. So it's it's considerate propaganda. Pregnant man gives birth. That's a fact. All right. Um, yeah, I'm I'm sure we will get all sorts of emails and comments on this one. Um, Tell us why we're right, wrong, whatever you want. Give us a call, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. It is just an answering machine. You will not talk to any of us. So you can yell, scream, whisper, do whatever you want. You can also send us emails, chag at toarresource.com. It's chag at toarresource.com. I will try to find the clip that I've been talking about um, because I, I like it. And uh, it would be a good one to have in our repertoire um, and our, in our sound bites, uh, we will try to be now. I know that we've skipped a couple of weeks of Messiah matters more. And I apologize to our supporters. We will probably try to record something on Monday 
for Messiah Matters More. If you want to uh, be able to watch that, you can uh, do so by going to TorahResource.com. In the uh, under the shop, go down to other materials and Messiah Matters support. You can support this show for as little as five dollars a month. That's right, for less than the cost of a venti latte at Starbucks, you can support this show and have access to Messiah Matters More. We do appreciate very much all of our supporters. Uh, we hope that this conversation has glorified our great God and Savior. Why? Well, because Messiah Matters. Messiah Matters.